0: Good morning, church. It's good to be together this morning. In fact, let me just say there's nothing quite like being in the house of the Lord with the people of God, singing about the victory of the Lord Jesus. Not only that, but gathering together to consider how he is building up his church. And that's why we are here, to consider the Lord Jesus and what he is doing In our lives, there's no better place to be. I'm not talking about Glen Rose. I'm saying just the church in general, just to clarify that. Although Glen Rose is a beautiful place. I walked myself into that one. I need to stick to my manuscript. I'm gonna do that. Ephesians chapter six. Believe it or not, we have reached the end of, or the last chapter of the book of Ephesians. Some of you thought maybe we would never get there, but we are in chapter six. And this morning, we're going to give our thoughts to the first three verses, but I'll read the first four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's no guesses as to what the sermon is going to be about this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, at first glance, the words we just read may sound a bit irrelevant, somewhat outdated, and even a tad countercultural. Who in the world could possibly need to hear these words today? Why are they good? What are they good for? After all, we are a modern society, are we not? We live in a society that craves personal freedom and autonomy, even from an early age, who cares about obedient children anymore. This is the world in which in some schools, if you are a child who is 13 or older, you can hide all your medical records from your parents, unless you grant them permission to have access to them. In some schools, A 13-year-old boy or girl can now go to the school nurse and request contraceptives. A girl can have an abortion or whatever else without even informing their parents. Who has time to even consider the idea of obedient children when they are being encouraged to do as they please by our culture? The words of Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, might seem like possessing an ideal that is bound to the past, but quite useless in the present. Now, before you take any of these thoughts and try to run with them, let me intercept them with the words of a great theologian of the past, J.C. Ryle. He said this, and I quote, To walk closely with God is to be really spiritually minded. To behave like strangers and pilgrims, to be distinct from the world, to bear a faithful witness for Christ in all places, to leave a savor of our master in every society. End quote. Let me take some time to consider those words carefully, especially these. To walk closely with God is to bear a faithful witness for Christ in all places, to leave a savor of our Master in every society. I submit to you that few things can do this more impactfully, more effectively, and more powerfully than a Christ centered family where children obey their parents and where parents faithfully discipline and instruct their children. The words of Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 are just as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. After all, what happens in the home is determinative of what happens in society. Because through our families, we can leave a savor of our master in society. Make no mistake about this. The present wickedness of our society is, at bottom, the direct result of a wicked view of the family. The core of any society is the family unit. As the family goes, so goes the culture. We need to understand that the total moral collapse of our society that we're witnessing today did not start in the schools, colleges, and universities, although we do not deny their contribution. But to insinuate that the current moral crisis is only to be laid at the feet of teachers and academics is to completely miss the real problem. The home is the true birthplace of our ongoing moral collapse. It all starts with the family, And that is, my brothers and sisters, the bad news. It is the bad news because if society is indeed reflective of the health of the family, then we are in deep, deep trouble. However, this is also good news. The darkness around us is so intense that if you think about it, it doesn't take much for the brightness of the gospel to shine through Christ-centered families. Therefore, this is not a time for Christian families to be frightened of the culture and the prevailing evils that we see. Rather, this is a time for Christian families to be a display of gospel power and hope. The stage is set, but where is the place to begin? Where do we start? What is the first stage upon which we can shine the light of Christ in and through our families? In Paul's mind, And somewhat surprisingly, when considering the family as a whole, his first words are directed toward you, the children, the children. So I hope you came ready to listen this morning, children. This is directed toward you. It begins with the children as they stand in relation to their parents. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing, isn't it? In a world that is constantly granting more and more freedom to children to behave as they please, Paul calls on children to take responsibility for obedience. In other words, Paul calls on children to take gospel holiness seriously. Now, before I say anything else, let me make the following point, children. I'm speaking to you directly. Your main duty as one living at home and still dependent on your parents is to obey them and honor them. This means that your main and primary duty is not to be approved by your friends, accepted by the culture or admired by your peers. In fact, if you allow yourself to be guided by these desires, disaster will follow. What we are about to see is the very summary of your entire duty as a child. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That's it. That's it. In terms of your human relationships, everything else is secondary. I could finish the sermon right here. We could go home. But that's not who I am. Right? I'm gonna preach a little longer than this. So let's keep going. Paul then is clearly giving a command to children. What I want to do then is to look at this command and expand on it so that it is easier to process in our minds. Hopefully, this will make sense to you. So here's the first point that I wanna make about this command. Number one, this command is rooted. In the 10 commandments, it is rooted in the 10 commandments. Therefore, it is universal. It is universal in verses one and two. The apostle Paul calls on children to do two essential things. First, obey. Second, honor. And both in connection to their parents, they must obey and they must honor their parents. Let's talk about those two words for a moment. The word obedience, the word obedience comes from two Greek words that were put together to form one. The first word is a preposition, the preposition under. The second word is a verb, to hear. The Greeks found a way to put those two words together, and out of that union came the word obedience, which means to hear under, to hear Under, it has the sense of listening to instruction as someone under authority. Listening to instruction as someone under authority. Therefore, the word itself implies the authority of the one to whom you owe your obedience. Obedience is to act in a way that acknowledges someone else's authority. Then the apostle Paul calls on children to honor their parents, to honor them. This is a very beautiful word. It means to hold something as precious that that's what it means to honor to hold something as precious or as having great value honoring our parents means to ascribe to them great significance to see them as a blessing as a great gift from the Lord. Now consider this the word honor is used as a verb in this in this particular verse. So we need to see them as more than just valuing our parents as precious or perceiving them as such. The fact that this word is a verb indicates that honoring our parents involves both valuing them as precious and also serving them in a way that reflects our estimation of them. Therefore, to honor our parents means to live with them in a way that is consistent with their worth. Now, of the two terms, obedience and honor, honor is broader than obedience honoring our parents entails much more than simple obedience but in this particular case since Paul is thinking primarily of children who are still living at home he includes the word obedience which tells us that he has the younger crowd in mind those who are still living at home but I want to argue that even though obeying someone and honoring someone are not necessarily or always the same thing Obeying and honoring are intimately related. What is more in the case of children who are still living at home, I would argue that based on these verses alone, we can conclude that it's simply not possible for children to honor their parents apart from obedience, apart from obedience. Therefore, Obedience to parents is a direct expression of giving them honor. So I will not create a a specific separation between the word obedience and honoring. Rather, I'll take them together since one is the obvious manifestation of the other one. So in in my estimation, the desire to honor parents controls the act of obedience. The word honoring dominates this discussion. And it is, after all, the fifth commandment in the decalogue. In the Ten Commandments. And as I said, the fact that this command is rooted in the Ten Commandments makes it a universal command, and this has incredible implications. In fact, it is a brilliant argument coming from the Apostle Paul. Why do I say that? Well, consider this if this command is rooted in the Ten Commandments, in God's moral law, that means this particular command has been written in the heart of all people. Paul says in Romans chapter two, verses 14 and 15, listen to how he speaks of the moral law of God. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. This is a reference to God's moral law as recorded in the 10 commandments. This is the law written in the heart. This means that we don't need to be taught that murder is wrong. You don't sit at the dinner table with your kids and, and explain to them why is, is not okay to murder someone. They, they bring that knowledge into the world. The same goes for stealing and adultery and lying included in these sins is the sin of dishonoring the parents. We are born with an innate sense that honoring our parents is proper and good and that dishonoring them is wrong. Therefore Paul's argument is universal children. None of you in this room can say, well, I didn't know I was supposed to honor my parents through obedience. Nobody told me that. Listen carefully. It is true that parents have an immense responsibility to teach you and instruct you and discipline you. And we'll address that next Sunday. But make no mistake about this, child. Make no mistake about this, children. You are never off the hook. Because God implanted in you the knowledge that honoring your parents through obedience is what you are supposed to do. Now, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about this? Why should we even care that our children be obedient to parents? Aren't there more important things to worry about than what happens in the home with our kids? Well, let me show you what the big deal is. In fact, I want you to read it with me, with your own eyes. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter one. If you don't think this is a big deal, I hope your mind will be changed. I want us to read beginning in verse 28. After giving one of the most comprehensive and sobering message about the wrath of God upon sinful humanity, in particular sinful, sinful humanity as expressed through sexual immorality, Paul gives us his culminating thoughts. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Consider the list of sins, evil, covetousness, Malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. What else? Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. This is new Testament language, my friends. This is not old Testament. This is new Testament that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let me ask you this children. Do you see now why obeying and honoring your parents is such a big deal? Parents. Do you see now why having obedient children and respectful children at home is such a big deal? In case you didn't see it, here's the answer. Disobedience to parents is a sign of a debased mind, of a mind that is darkened. It is a sign of God's wrath. Children who persist, children who persist in their disobedience to parents are showing signs of being abandoned by God to their own deceitful desires. Listen to me, my dear friends in all the scripture, in all the scripture, nothing is more terrifying as the words God gave them over. Nothing is more terrifying than the words God gave them over. Mark my words, disobedient children, are a curse to any society they are a curse to any society eventually they become the adults and they run things and they become the people in charge you know what we're witnessing today in our society is generational sins that have gone unrepented of children Honor your parents through obedience. But how? Here's the second point. How? Number two, this command, this particular command, we cannot miss this, is empowered by the gospel. Is empowered by the gospel. Therefore, faith is essential. We cannot miss this point. Obey your parents. But notice how Paul says it. Obey your parents, period. No. No. He always adds, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, before we get too far ahead, let me make, state the obvious. Paul is calling on children, not on babies. I know that's an obvious point, but I need to make it. We're a Baptist church. He's calling on children, not on babies. What I mean is this. Paul is addressing these words to children who are capable of understanding and obeying and believing These are children who are believers. How do I know that? This is actually very simple. You just follow the context. In verse 22 of chapter 5, Paul is talking to believing wives. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. We agree on that. Then in verse 25, Paul is talking to believing husbands. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. When it comes to children, nothing has changed. Paul is talking to believing children. Now, obviously, all children need to obey their parents. Why? Because, as I said, this command is rooted in the moral law of God. The Ten Commandments, which makes it universal, is like marriage, which is rooted in creation. And it is therefore also universal. But now Paul's speaking to believing children who are themselves in Christ. Children who have received Christ as Lord. These are children, but they are also professing believers. They don't just belong to the Christian community externally, as some of our Presbyterian brothers would argue, many of whom I love and respect. But there is absolutely no reason given in the context to come to such conclusion. In fact, you would have to miss the context to come to that conclusion. Paul is speaking to members of the new covenant. This is why he says, obey your parents in the Lord. After all, what does it mean to be in Christ, but to have the full benefits of redemption? You are either in Adam or you are in Christ, but you cannot be somewhere in between. Now, with that clear, let's consider the expression in the Lord. It does not refer to the parents, but to the obedience. Paul is not saying that the parents are in the Lord, but that the obedience should be carried out in the Lord, meaning in the sphere of gospel faith. This reminds me of what uh, they tell you uh, on TV when you see someone attempting something dangerous. Don't try this at home. Children, don't try this on your own, on your own strength, on your own power. Obey your parents, but do so in the Lord. What is the meaning of that little expression? Well, it means at least three things. First, obedience is a byproduct of the power of the gospel. Obedience is the byproduct of the power of the gospel. But didn't I say that this command is rooted in the 10 commandments? Yes, I did say that. But apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the 10 commandments are there only to condemn, not to save. As members of the new covenant, no command given to us in scripture should ever be viewed in isolation from the Lord Jesus Christ, but only in and through Christ because Christ fulfilled the commandments for us. And he also makes us able and willing to obey. Jesus makes us rejoice in the law. This is gospel power. Second, the second thing that it means to obey our parents in the Lord means that we obey them in order to please Christ. So here's something for both parents and children to understand. Obedience does not take place in a vacuum. Obedience takes place within the context of Christ-centric knowledge and delight. This means that obedience is not primarily the result of discipline, but of knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ gives meaning to our obedience. Without Christ, obedience is a duty. With Christ, it is a joy. Therefore, parents, our number one priority when it comes to our children is to pray that they may know and rejoice in the Lord. It is to pray incessantly the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Galatians to be in anguish of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. You will never waste your time praying that prayer for your children, that Christ be formed in them. And third, the third thing that this means, children must obey their parents in the Lord because in Christ Their shortcomings are forgiven. Listen, you don't obey your parents in order for Christ to accept you. You must obey your parents because through faith in Christ, Christ already has accepted you. You don't obey your parents in order to obtain forgiveness. You obey your parents because through faith in Christ, you have been forgiven of your sins. The Lord has been gracious to you. Therefore obey your parents in the Lord and let it be a manifestation of the grace already given to you. Now I don't want to move past this point without bringing to your attention another very practical, important element of this teaching. This was brought to my attention by one of the commentaries that I was reading A few weeks ago, notice how Paul addresses children directly. Did you notice that? That's an important point. Paul addresses the children directly. He doesn't say parents tell your children to obey you. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Children obey your parents. Why is that significant? It is significant because this was a circular letter that was to be read publicly as the people of God gathered for worship. You know what that means? Clearly for the apostle Paul, children were expected to be present in the gathering of God's people. In the mind of the apostle Paul, these children were expected to be with their parents as they gathered together for worship. Herein lies the reason why we, for example, at this church, we offer extended session, but only for the very little ones. It is our biblical conviction that our children need to be a part of the life of our church. They need to hear the word of God preached and they need to be a part of our corporate worship. Let me take it even further. I am persuaded. I am persuaded that one of the central reasons why many youth eventually walk away from the faith. It is not the only reason, but it's one of the main ones is because of this growing emphasis in doing ministry in a way that is deeply compartmentalized. In other words, children go here, youth go there, adults go over there. The truth is many young people find find themselves reaching adulthood, never having been a part of the church. I want my children here every Sunday, listening to God's word and you should too. They need to hear this instruction with their own ears. Number three, this command Is directed by absolute truth. This command is directed by absolute truth. Therefore, it is unquestionable. Paul says, Obey your parents in the Lord. And then he adds, What? For this is right. Clearly, Paul was not a slave to this false postmodern notion that truth is relative or changing or adjustable to cultural preferences and ongoing social trends. Truth is truth. And the passing of 2000 years has no power to alter it. So Paul is content with simply saying, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. I love that. Notice please that by saying those words, Paul does not appeal to the circumstantial feelings of children. He doesn't do that. He does something way more powerful. He doesn't say, children, obey your parents as long as it feels good to do so. If you're in the mood for it, if the circumstances are right, I cannot emphasize how important it is that we understand this today more so than ever. There's a sociologist by the name of uh, Philip Reef. And he understood the world in divided in three different categories, the first, second, and third world. And he said that the first and second worlds, according to him, were the worlds in which everyone was subject to a transcendental norm. For instance, the pagans in the first world were subject. They subject themselves to a transcendental norm, whether it be legends or myths. And then he said, came the second world. Which is interesting because he says, this is the world of the religious person, the Christian. And the Christian also submits himself to the transcendental norm we know as the word of God. But then he said this, we are now living in the third world. And guess who rules in the third world? There's no transcendental norm to which you must subject yourself. In the third world in which we now live, according to this sociologist, which I think he has some insight, he said, the self is king. Is not the self submitting himself to a transcendental law, and now the self is king. We are now living in a world governed primarily by our inner desires and feelings rather than by truth. There's a Christian historian, Carl Truman. He summarized Reef's analysis this way. He said this, and I quote, The only moral criterion that can be applied to behavior is whether it conduces to the feeling of well-being in the individuals concerned, end quote. That is the world in which we live. That is exactly the world in which we live. The only moral criterion, the only thing that matters Is whether the behavior conduces to the feeling of well being. Because the self is now king. Why am I saying all this? Let me put it this way for Christians, living in the third world of the self is not an option. In fact, it doesn't even exist. Children, let me speak to you directly. Children, you are not your own. Law. You are not your own law. You don't get to make up your own rules. You know what autonomous mean? Being autonomous. We crave autonomy, don't we? You know what autonomous mean? Auto means self. Nomos, law. We want to be a law unto ourselves. We want to make up our own rules. But children, let me make clear this to you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you profess faith in Christ, the third world of feelings and the self is not an option. You're always under the authority of a transcendental truth that will be true now and forevermore is called the word of God. You don't live in a world in which you reign as king over your own choices. You live in the world of absolute truth. And Paul says, obey your parents for this is right. Something that postmoderns would hate. Well, what makes it right? Paul would say, well, God said it. Okay. God said it. And fourth, 4th I'm taking a little longer than I thought. This command, number four, is followed by a promise. This command is followed by a promise. Therefore, it is highly consequential it is highly consequential. Paul said at the, at the end of verse two, this is the first command, commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honoring parents is the only one of the 10 commandments with a promise attached to it. What is the promise? Well, the promise is laid out in verse three, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That is a promise. Now, admittedly, Admittedly, this is not very easy to understand. It's not very easy to understand. What is not clear is the practical meaning of this promise. Consider the following facts. At the time in which Paul wrote this letter, meaning in the first century AD, on average, one half of all children died before reaching the age of six. Many of whom would have been young Believers in the Lord, not only that, but severe persecution also would have shortened the lives of many young believers during this time. As it has been the case ever since in many parts of the world. How are we to understand this promise then that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, one thing is clear. Obedience to parents is the sphere in which certain blessings are bestowed. We know that much. Now, in light of that, and considering the facts of life in this fallen world, here is how I understand this promise. This is a promise with qualified present-day applications, but with total eschatological fulfillment. Did you get that? This is a promise with qualified present day applications, but with total eschatological fulfillment. Let me bring in a category, a theological category that I think is helpful. You have heard of this category, the already not yet. Have you heard of that before? The already not yet. I think this category is helpful. There is a sense in which we can experience eternal life in the here and now, but not fully until then. For instance, We can know something of the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that the spirit provides. We can, but we will know the fruit of the spirit in all its fullness. Then another example of this is the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. We have it. We have the abundant life. And yet We don't have it. We have spiritual life in Christ in a real and true sense, but we will will have it in a perfect and permanent sense when we see Jesus face to face. It is as though eternity has reached into time to grant us some of its benefits in the here and now. This is the framework in which we need to understand this promise. Children, honor your parents that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There is a sense in which obedience to your parents can translate into real, tangible blessings on this earth. It is true. It truly is the sphere of blessing. For instance, obedience to your parents may keep you from many harms, may lead you to success in academic and work endeavors, and may protect you from evil influences. All that is true. But this is what I mean by qualified present day application. It could very well extend your life and it could bring you success. This is a principle that can be true in a general sense, but this is not necessarily a guarantee for this life. This is, however, a promise with a total eschatological fulfillment. Hence the word promise. Why do I say eschatological Well, eschatological because its ultimate fulfillment will take place in the new heavens and the new earth. When this happens, this promise will be fulfilled in its totality. In fact, it will go so well with you that it will be perfect bliss and you will live so long in the land that it will be eternal life. This is what Christ does. This is what the Lord Jesus does. He takes all the promises and fulfills them in himself. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. And as you do so, keep looking to and learning from and delighting in the Lord Jesus Christ, And even if in this life it doesn't go well with you and you don't live long in this land, in Christ, someday it will all come true. It will all come true. So children, the the main invitation this morning is that even from a young age, you make it your ambition to please the Lord Jesus Christ in your role as a child living in submission to your parents. Do it now. Begin now to live your life to the glory of God. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning. Maybe we did not see anything new, and yet it is so, so relevant for our lives. Father, we know that the world is in absolute chaos. We see society falling apart. But yet you have given us instruction in your word so that we may honor you in the way we live our lives, even within the home. We ask now, Father, for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to take what we heard and to help us to apply it to our lives. And thank you, Lord, for the redemption that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ for he indeed is making all things new. Thank you, Father, for the work of sanctification in us. And when we are convinced and convicted of our sins, Lord, help us to look to Christ and to know that in him, we have perfect and eternal forgiveness and reconciliation with you. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder. And I pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will go out and live it according to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.